0: Hello and welcome to Money Covered, a monthly podcast from RPC aimed at those dealing with complaints, claims and risk management in the financial services sector. I'm Ash Daniels, one of the co-hosts on this podcast, and I'll be talking to our guests about topical issues relevant to those dealing with complaints and claims against FCA-regulated entities, such as IFAs, asset managers, SIPs and brokers, as well as TPR-regulated entities, including pension trustees and issues for offshore professionals and accountants. Welcome to August's edition of Money Covered. This month, I'm joined by Sarah Dowding and Andrew Ubholzer, who will shortly be discussing their top picks for this month. But first, in a month where we all became experts in skateboarding, surfing and sport climbing with Olympic fever sweeping the nation, here's some other top stories from the financial services world this month. The British steel pension saga continues, with Clark Wilmot, a firm acting for some of the claimants, estimating that around 10% of the £2.8 that was transferred will be paid in compensation. A Labour MP has also called for criminal proceedings to be brought against IFAs, who negligently advised British steel pension holders to transfer out of their defined benefit schemes. The Court of Appeal has upheld the decision of the High Court in the case of FCA and Avocade. The Court of Appeal upheld the FCA's findings that Avocade – a firm of unregulated introducers, had been arranging and promoting investments without FCA authorisation, as well as making misleading statements, which ultimately induced over 2,000 investors to transfer their pensions into alternative investments. The FCA has announced plans to send a fifth financial resilience survey to advice firms, despite the previous survey having only been sent in April this year. The Financial Ombudsman Service has revealed proposed changes to the time in which businesses have to respond to complaints, reducing from eight weeks down to four. At the same time, FOS announced an external review of its services to ensure that it's meeting consumer needs. The review comes at a time when FOS has a backlog of around 163,000 complaints. And finally, the Court of Appeal has overturned the upper tribunal's decision by confirming that two film schemes were indeed trading with a view to a profit rejecting the claims that they were simply tax avoidance schemes. But now to our main feature of Money Covered this month. Andrew, welcome to Money Covered, making your debut today. So you're going to be talking to us about authorised fund managers, or AFMs, and authorised corporate directors, or ACDs. So just starting off with a bit of back to basics, what is an AFM and what is an ACD?
1: Thanks, Ash. Well... UK-regulated firms must have a managing entity that's authorised by the regulator. So these are commonly known as Authorised Fund Managers, or AFMs, and they're responsible for ensuring that the fund complies with the rules laid down by the FCA. A host AFM is one that operates a fund that delegates the management of the investments to a third party. There's a variety of parts of the FCA handbook governing AFMs. The terminology used to describe an AFM really depends on the structure of the fund it's managing. Where the fund is an authorized unit trust, or AUT, or an authorized contractual scheme, ACS, then the AFM is simply referred to as a manager. Whereas for an open ended investment company, or an OIC, the AFM is known as the authorized corporate director, or ACD. The AFM can be either internal or external, but more likely it's going to be an external entity. And the AFM is principally responsible for the operation of the fund. And this will include making decisions as to what assets the fund should acquire in line with its investment objectives and policies, taking action to rectify any breaches of valuation and pricing of units, maintaining records of the scheme and valuing the fund's property the AFM is also able to delegate some of its functions.
0: So ACDs and AFMs have been in the press lots recently and probably will continue to be for the foreseeable future, in particular with the Woodford Equity Income Fund. Could you just talk listeners through the structure of that fund and and what was the involvement of the AFM slash ACD in that case? Sure.
1: So first of all, by way of background, for anyone unfamiliar with the Woodford scandal, this concerned the Woodford Equity Income Fund This was an OI, and as such, it was required to have an ACD, which in this case was Link Fund Solutions. Link delegated the investment management responsibilities to Woodford Investment Management. This fund was suspended in June 2019. The issues leading to the suspension primarily concerned the liquidity of the fund. So the Woodford Fund promised daily liquidity to investors But it really started to get into difficulty when a number of investors were requesting their money back over a similar time period. And because the fund couldn't sell the assets fast enough, as a high number were illiquid, it got into some real difficulties. At the time, it was estimated that only 21% of the fund could be liquidated within seven days in June 2018, and this dropped further to 28% in April 2019. In addition to the liquidity issues, it's also been alleged that Link deliberately overvalued the fund's assets. There's currently a number of class actions being brought um, in the wake of the Woodford scandal, one being by Lee Day. And on their website, they mention that they believe that Link allowed Woodford to hold excessive illiquid or difficult to sell investments, which caused investors to suffer a significant loss. In doing so, Lee Day considers that Link breached the FCA handbook rules and failed to properly carry out the management function
0: of the Woodford Fund. Thanks, Andrew. So Woodford is perhaps the most current example, but probably the better known past example is Arch Crew. So again, would you be able to take listeners just through what the structure was and what happened in that case?
1: Well the Arch Crew investment scandal um, affected around about 20,000 people and they lost their money after investing in what was referred to as low risk funds. And Arch Crew was managed by Capita, who was also an ACD. Capita would, incidentally, eventually become Link. The private equity holdings in Arch Crew funds were held in cell funds listed on the Channel Islands Stock Exchange in order to enable investments to be held within the fund structure that would ordinarily only be allowed to constitute a small fraction of the fund's assets. Similarly to Woodford, liquidity was a real issue. The sell company structure allowed Arch to hold a higher percentage of illiquid private equity investments than the regulations would normally permit. Capita also failed in its pricing responsibilities and did not have an adequate process in place to identify whether the information used to value the funds was reliable. Capita authorised and allowed this complicated cell structure to exist, and this is what's principally been identified as the failing of ArchCrew. In total, £391 million was invested into the funds. Since the suspension of the funds, the value has fallen 44%. From 363 million to 203 million. Now, off the back of Arch Crew, the regulator did take action. So, the FSA, as it then was, issued a final notice uh, censuring capital financial managers over inadequate processing and significant failings in its role as the ACD, as well as identifying potential conflicts of interest for Arch Financial as it earned various fees and commissions as the delegated investment manager and also earned fees for structuring some of the underlying investments. Capita also did not have adequate controls over the way in which the fund's prospectus were revised and did not maintain adequate compliance records of visits to Arch Financial. The FSA also launched a consumer redress scheme in the wake of the Arch Crew scandal. For those affected by the collapse. And the scheme was actually funded by the advisors who recommended that their clients invest in ArchCrew. And the total amount from the redress scheme has been calculated in the region of around about £31.5 million. Pounds. This isn't the first time Capita has been in the press due to its role as an ACD, and they've also been called up for their action in relating to the Conalt Income Fund, which was named as a guaranteed low risk income fund, on which guaranteed returns on investment of 8.15 to 8.5%. Conalt was an unregulated collective scheme which Capita ran from March 2008 until September 2009, before the fund went into liquidation in December 2012. The FCA found serious issues during Capita's tenure and that it failed to ensure that its replacement, ACD, was fully informed about those issues. Additionally, the regulator found that Capita failed to communicate with the fund's investors in a way that was clear, fair, and not misleading. However, it should also be noted that the FCA has apologised for its role in the failings
0: of Connaught. Thanks, Andrew. So there are clearly some high-profile examples of failures within the ACD and AFM market, and as you've mentioned, some action from the FSA and FCA has already been taken. But what other steps did the regulators take?
1: Well, in September 2019, the FCA released a policy statement on illiquid assets and open-ended funds, and this provided feedback to a previous discussion paper addressing circumstances where the fund manager was required to suspend dealings amongst other things, off the back of Brexit. In November 2019, the FCA released a Dear CEO letter to AFMs entitled Effective Liquidity Management, Good Practice for AFMs. And this was a follow-up to the September 2019 policy statement, targeted at rules around portfolio composition and liquidity management. AFMs were reminded that it was their responsibility even if they delegated this function, to ensure that the fund was effectively liquid, describing effective liquidity management as an irreducible and core function for all open-ended funds. And in January 2020, the FCA published a further Dear CEO letter to AFMs. Here, the FCA identified low overall standards of governance as a key cause of harm in the asset management sector noting that the overall standards of governance, particularly at the level of the regulated entity, fell below its expectations. The theme of governance is pervasive through all items of concern for the FCA, and it's clear that the way in which the manager approaches governance will determine its effectiveness at addressing these issues. Finally, in June 2020, the FCA published its guidance for all regulated firms, which set out its expectations of the practices firms should adopt in their assessment of adequate financial resources. And this also underlined the importance of firms being able to demonstrate compliance with the minimum threshold conditions.
0: Thanks, Andrew. It's really interesting and certainly helpful to have a bit more of an understanding to the background of the problems. So, thank you. So, Sarah, welcome also to Money Covered, and you're going to be talking us through the FCA's recent paper. Now, Clearly, ACDs and AFMs are under the FCA microscope of scrutiny at the moment, particularly with the published findings in June. Could you just talk us through the reasons for that review?
2: Thanks, Ash. By way of background, the FCA published guidance for firms in June 2020, which explained the FCA's expectations for assessments into adequate finance resources and also set out their expectations of the practices which should be adopted. This followed on from potential regulatory issues identified by the FCA as early as 2012. So essentially, in terms of the review published in June this year, the FCA wanted to test the viability of the host AFMs, business models, and assess whether conflicts of interest were being effectively managed. And the way in which they did this was to include a range of AFMs that delegate investment management to third parties in other words, to the ACDs. And as part of that review, they examined various aspects, such as how well their host AFMs understood their responsibilities for the funds they operate, and then to evaluate those findings against the relevant requirements and guidance in the FCA handbook. And the FCA published those findings on June 20th of this year.
0: Thanks, Sarah. So what did the review find?
2: In the review, the FCA grouped the key observations into four main areas, which were due diligence over delegated third-party investment managers and funds, oversight of delegated third-party investment managers and funds, governance and oversight, and financial resources. Overall, the FCA review found that many firms did not carry out the requisite due diligence. In fact, overall, they found that firms performed poorly in this area. They also found that firms did not have adequate risk management systems in place. Other issues they found were that firms did not have an appropriate governance structure to manage the funds or have appropriate resources in place or a suitable business model. The review found that some firms were not meeting the FCA standards and the FCA wants to see some significant improvement in this area. The FCA has confirmed that it expects fund managers to have already considered the ways in which they are going to comply with the requisite regulation prior to applying for the fund to be authorised. One of the key points made by the FCA was that many firms did not fully understand or have any detailed knowledge of the funds they oversaw. And so without that knowledge, there were concerns around whether a firm can properly manage the performance of those funds, provide effective oversight or challenge any decisions made by the fund manager. The outcome of the review showed a lack of focus on control and the risk of harm, with several firms failing to identify conflicts of interest, even where the FCA confirmed that they were, in their words, obvious. As Andrew explained earlier, the host AFM is a fund operator that delegates investment management to a third party outside of its corporate group. Typically, the delegate acts as the fund sponsor and has a significant influence over the fund's design, distribution and management. And so the example given by the FCA in their findings about obvious conflicts of interest is one where a potential conflict arises between a fund's investors and a sponsor whose fees are paid by the fund. As the review noted, the FCA expects AFMs to take meaningful steps to avoid or prevent, manage and monitor all conflicts of interest.
0: Thanks, Sarah. So what are the next steps following the review and what do you think we can expect next?
2: So, the FCA has confirmed it will be providing written feedback to all the firms involved in the review and has indicated it will be employing the use of all measures available to them to ensure that there is compliance in the sector. This can include Section 166 Skilled Person Reports, which the FCA confirms will primarily consider the adequacy of firms' governance, systems, controls and delegated third-party management oversight. The expected timeframe given by the FCA to review the progress made by each firm will be over the next 12 to 18 months. The FCA has indicated that the results of the review have been so significant that it is considering whether it needs to change the regulatory framework currently in place. If so, a standard consultation process will likely be carried out. It is clear that there are some big changes anticipated over the next year or so, and we will provide a further update in due course.
0: Thanks, Sarah. So what should those in the industry or involved with it, for example, professional indemnity insurers, be on the lookout for?
2: Well, the FCA review has identified several key issues that fund managers should be aware of and take into account. One of the key issues to come out of the review is knowledge, so that in order to comply with the requisite obligations, the firm has to have a clear understanding of the relevant regulation and also clear understanding of the funds themselves. As I mentioned, the review identified cases where there had been a lack of understanding about the fund. And if that's the case, then the AFM cannot oversee the management of the fund or ensure proper risk management systems are in place. It should probably also be said that fund managers should also be proactive in identifying potential weaknesses in their own systems and when considering conflicts of interest, ensure that if a decision needs challenging, that they challenge it. In terms of insurers and fund managers, the FCA's review is likely to give rise to further and increased scrutiny. This could be by way of Section 166 reviews, as I mentioned, or investigations. And as insurers will be familiar, such actions can mean significant cost exposure and of course the potential for sanctions. It's also often the case that following a review such as this, claims may well follow, especially if there are regulatory sanctions or reviews which highlight problems such as a lack of due diligence and conflicts of interest. Another potential issue, as seen from some of Andrew's examples earlier, is that ACDs are often first in hypersensia when the FCA considers that something has gone wrong. There is a potential scenario here where fund managers will be keen to outsource the ACD function to third parties so as to create some distance between them and the regulator in the event that something does in fact go wrong, so overall, lots to look out for over the next twelve months or so.
0: Thank you, Sarah, and thank you to Andrew both for your insights today. Uh, it's certainly an issue I suspect will become more prevalent in in the coming years, and one I think listeners will really appreciate having a, a guide through. So, thank you both very much. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and that you'll join us again next month when we'll be discussing the hot topics in the financial services sector. Please do click to subscribe. And be sure to check out our other RPC publications at rpc.co.uk forward slash perspectives. Finally, many thanks to today's guests, as well as everyone behind the scenes at RPC that make this podcast possible.